Spoiler alert! The Silver Screen Redemption includes few to no spoilers. Due to Houston and Brian's lack of cinematic knowledge, most of their movie information is either false or imagined. However, if they still leave you feeling paranoid about potential spoilers, please check the episode description for details. Welcome, everybody, to the Silver Screen Redemption, our fun-filled podcast where we look at your favorite movie franchises and pitch subjectively necessary sequels. I'm one of your co-hosts, Houston Bodley. And I'm another of your co-hosts, Brian Perry. It has been a year since we've done this together, Brian. That's true. Wait, a year since we've been doing it. Oh, no, you're saying a year since... Yeah, we've had a lot of guests. Yeah. It's been very exciting. Yeah. It's probably not been a year. Probably not. Maybe a little less. Since the podcast has not been going for a full year. That's true. But Um, sometimes it feels like Sometimes I just don't keep track of time. As you can tell, I don't wear a watch or anything. (laughs) Yeah. It makes it a little tough. Um, We kind of came into this not really knowing what we want to do for this episode. We're not entirely sure when this episode's coming out. We just wanted to get ahead of the game. So we kind of talked about talking about our top five movies together. Yeah. And just kind of going from there, seeing if we wanted to make a sequel to any of them or if it inspired an idea for a sequel somewhere. Yeah, and I think I think something that uh, could be interesting is sort of a kill your darlings type thing. Like, we need to be able to critique our own favorite movies because no movie's perfect. Oh, I'm very capable of critiquing okay. your movies. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I also am capable of critiquing my movies. Um, <laughs> so we'll just fix yours. Okay, and then cool. mine will be left spotless. We'll just talk about how yours are perfect and mine need to be fixed, and that's perfect. Um, let's go ahead and jump into it then. Kay. I will my first one off the bat, one of my top five, and these aren't any in, in any particular order. These are just the ones that when I thought of this theme, these were the ones that stuck out to me. Um, this is actually the one where the namesake of our podcast comes from, and that's The Shawshank Redemption. A very good movie. And it's going to be very difficult this whole episode to call it The Shawshank Redemption instead <laughs> of The Silver Screen Redemption. Yep. That's uh, what happens when you start a podcast. Yeah. It replaces all other nouns. Um, my wife and I were watching The Silver... Uh, the Silver you did Lining- it? Good. Yep. It's happening. Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook <laughs> together on Valentine's Day. And that whole day when we were trying to talk about it, I kept calling it the Silver Screen Redemption. (laughs) And so that movie is now the Silver Screen Redemption, which makes me Bradley Cooper and you are Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, you actually meant to say Silver Linings Playbook? Yes. Oh, I was just I was just making fun of the fact that you said silver. You really I thought you were saying Shawshank Redemption. No, we watched Silver Linings Playbook. Oh yeah. And I kept calling it Silver Screen Redemption. I'm definitely Jennifer Lawrence. Yep. Um so hey Jennifer. Hey. So yeah, Shawshank Redemption, that's my first one. Have you seen Shawshank Redemption? I have. Yes. Oh, it's a classic. It I is a classic. Movie. I don't know what I would do with it. I, I think that's why we've avoided making a sequel to yeah, it this yeah. long. I, I think th- early on we were like, eventually we're going to do the Shawshank Redemption episode. But I don't. I honestly don't know what we do. The thing I feel about it is that because it's so wholesome of a movie, so inspiring, and because it inspired us with the name of our podcast... I think that should be our last episode okay. of all time. When we die. When we die. <laughs> on our deathbeds. When we're old Bradley and old bring, Jennifer. Bring the microphone. I need to pitch a sequel about 
the silver screen redemption's redemption. And you mean the Shawshank redemption? Yes, I <laughs> warned you. This is going to be a problem. Um, yeah, just let's for, just let's just leave it then. Maybe we'll come for back now. to it, but I kind of like the idea of having that as our ultimate episode. So I figured you would go for like these high-minded, like this is a good movie, like this is a good movie TM type thing. You know what I mean? Well, it starts that way. It might not finish that okay, way. Okay, cool. But I, I like tried to not go that direction. Okay. Like it was just these are ones that are very like fun for me, and I've watched a lot. That kind of thing. They're infinitely rewatchable. They touch your soul in a joyful, happy way. Yes. They've defined you as a character. They have. Um, two of these I think we've actually talked about that we both enjoy are Spider-Man 2 and Big Fish. Both very oh, good movies. Yes. Both of those in your top five. Yes. I would say that Spider-Man 2 is the most underrated superhero movie yeah. nowadays just because everyone's forgotten about it. Yeah. But go back and watch it. It holds up so well. Dr. Octopus. He's a good character. I think he's we've had really this exact conversation on the podcast. Um, I like the storyline. Whether you... Here's the thing. Tom Holland, I think he's a better Spider-Man than Tobey Maguire, but Tobey fits so well with the tone of those movies yeah. that you couldn't have a better Spider-Man for the- For the Sam Raimi, yeah. For that Sam Raimi-directed movie. Um, and just what they do with the character of just like trying to balance real life and having a potential girlfriend, yep. getting along with your friends, and being a superhero, and just the decision to- uh, continue to do good or try and live your life, I think is something that a lot of people struggle with or yeah. not in the same way, but is a very relevant message. So if you take anything away from this podcast today, go rewatch Spider-Man 2. Spider it's a very good one. Um, the thing about it too is like, I, I, I mean, I think it captures the thing that I've always liked about Spider-Man the most. He's my favorite Superman, superhero for sure. Mm -hmm. Is like, he has so many decisions to make. Superman doesn't. I have yet to see a Superman movie that I absolutely love. Yeah. I like the Christopher Reeve Superman, but the movie itself is dated. Yeah. It's very campy. Uh, Man of Steel, I thought, was more interesting, but it didn't execute everything yeah. properly, and it kind of betrayed, not betrayed, but let me down in certain areas of the Superman hero. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's really hard to do something with Superman. You kind of have to do this mortality complex where suddenly he's all—he's not all that powerful, or something. And, and that's where... the one time he has to make a decision, right? Yeah. Like Spider-Man has to figure out when he's going to do his homework. Exactly. Like he has to figure out like how he's going to pay the rent, all that stuff. I think it's very cool. Um, Big Fish, I think, has a lot more potential for us to do a sequel to. Yeah. I think there very much could be a big a big fish. A too. bigger fish, a you bigger, might say. Bigger fish is a good name. Uh when I was younger, I got like really into Tim Burton movies. Mm -hmm. I was like very excited about Tim Burton movies. But then there was kind of this moment of like these are not accessible to most of my friends. And I saw Big Fish and it was kind of like this is a pretty normal movie for Tim Burton. Relatively normal. Relatively. Um, there I is enjoy... a baby that shoots out of his mother <laughs> yes. 50 feet down the hallway. But I mean, but... Not, there are very few characters wearing like pasty white makeup, for example. Yeah. You know? Um, it, there's some. It's, it feels more realistic, even though it's not. Everything that is wild and, and Tim Burton-y about it is explained away. Yeah. And I think it's pretty cool. Um, I uh, The first time I saw it, though... Uh, there's a scene where, so, so a lot of the movie, he is wondering if his dad has cheated on his mom. 
Yes. Right. And he's like kind of trying to get to the bottom of that. Uh, and then it tells the story about him going to meet the witch, right? The piano teacher lady uh, and fixing up her house so he can finish buying the town. And I read into the like into that scene too much. And I thought they that he did cheat on his wife with her. Like I was sure. Yeah. Of it. And I think I just like missed the resolution of that scene. I was like, oh, I really liked Edward Bloom until he cheated on his wife. Because I hate that in movies, right? Yeah. I hate it in real life even more. <laughs> <laughs> Infidelity is just not cool, right? And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Because like, they set him up to be such a good guy. Yeah. And then he's unfaithful. But then I saw it again. And it's like, oh. He, he didn't. Like, he rocks. No, he's actually a really good guy. Yeah. I think that's another thing I enjoy. Like, uh, he, is a, he is a pretty solid character. He's a good guy. He has flaws, but he is a good guy. And he is guy. Ewan McGregor. He is Ewan you McGregor. You can't help but love that man. I love Ewan McGregor. Um, I really like it because it reminds me of my dad to a degree. Because he was a big fish. He was a big fish. He still is a big fish. Um, that's not a <laughs> – I'm just going to stop there. Um, I like it because he is very much a storyteller. Um, but he has kind of this mentality, which is one of the themes of the movie, of that life is not something to just – live in it's something you experience it's something you learn to enjoy and make the most out of that and you learn that yeah he kind of uh accents these stories to make them a little bigger than life a a bigger fish story if you will but the idea is that that's okay because like who do they really harm they don't but it makes you really appreciate life and appreciate the moments and so that's how you can live your life is going through and just making it as big and joyful as a moment as possible. And and I think that's why him cheating was such a, a problem for me. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, now he is harming someone, right? Yeah. Like, the whole point is that he is, like, embellishing the stories and, like, making them fun, um, not telling the whole truth, uh, but he's not hurting anyone. But then he was, and he was hiding it, and it was just this bad thing. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, I I, uh, I really enjoy the movie. And I, I think you could still take it a lot of ways. Uh like we see the son at the end telling these stories to his son. Yeah. And maybe we do something with that. I like that a lot. Should we go through the rest of yours? I, I mean, yeah. I have some more too. Let's go back to you. Yeah. Um, the next one I'm going to do, Spider-Man is your favorite superhero. It'll come as no surprise to longtime <laughs> listeners of this show that Batman is indeed my favorite superhero. This is the first of two of my cheats. And I'm actually combining... Batman Begins and The Dark Knight together on this one. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Dark Knight Rises, it's good. It's enjoyable for what it's worth. It doesn't quite, it doesn't reach that level of enjoyment as the first two do for me. If you like it more, that's fine. I'm not going to shoot it down too much, but I like these first two especially a lot. Um, Batman Begins, I feel like it gets overlooked. Everyone talks about Dark Knight. Yeah. Batman Begins, to me, is the most pure Batman story that there is. Because um, even in the like the 1990s, Michael Keaton, George Clooney, a lot of those, they didn't focus so much on Batman as a character, or they did, and it just wasn't executed well. Batman Begins, there's a straightforward arc with Batman's character from beginning to end. Yeah, He is the most interesting character in that, which is impressive because it's usually the villains. That's what I really like about Batman Begins. But then I like what Dark Knight does with that is now that you've grown to appreciate Batman, you go to that next step in his storyline, that next arc he has to develop. 
but giving him the ultimate antagonist in the Joker and then making it more of this crime thriller mystery that's going on. I feel like everyone's talked this movie to death, so I don't know how much more I can add to it. But I like the way that they play off of each other and that Batman Begins starts as a triumphant, realistic superhero movie, but then Dark Knight subverts that and makes it a more gritty, less of a superhero, more of a crime mystery. Yes, I would agree with both of those, despite the fact that I'm not crazy about Batman. Um, those are those are good movies. I don't like Dark Knight Rises at all. That's fine. Mostly because I can't understand a single character in it. <laughs> I don't know what they're saying. I don't understand their motivations. Anyway. You're not a big fan of Tom Hardy, Bane. I'm not. Because um, he's Bane. Uh, That's his name. Better watch out, Brian. I'm going to make you feel pain. Oh, I was waiting for it to rhyme. Good. <laughs> uh, you know what I have a problem with? In that movie, Talia al Ghul's death scene. She literally, you go to that scene where she dies, she has the most dramatic death scene in the whole world. Hmm. And that just kind of summarizes the movie for me in that it's trying to take itself very seriously for most of it, but then it just, it doesn't stick the landing and Hmm. it just comes off as a little pretentious, a little over the top. She is Marianne Cotillard, right? Yes. Who is in Big Fish. Fish. Yeah. Maybe we can do something with that. Uh. <laughs> um, so I've got a two for now, too. To okay. counter your two for. Okay. Mine is Back to the Future Parts 1 and 2. All right. And Part 3 is okay. Interesting. Sort of a similar I feel like most situation. people don't like, well, not dislike, but I feel like it usually goes 1, 3, 2. Really? Yeah, from most people. 3 I've feels so to. disconnected to me. I think 3 is very fun and enjoyable. It is kind of its own story. 1 and 2 are one movie to me. Like, when you watch one, you should watch two immediately after. I feel like two benefits more from the fact that... Yeah, that one it, happened. It, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And obviously, that's, like, the point of sequels. <laughs> but but three, the, three could stand alone. Three entirely. could. You take the one, like, hey, Marty, I built a time machine. And then you go to the Wild West. Like, yeah. you could do that as its own movie. Exactly. Um, I, I have rewatched them recently. In Back to the Future Part 2, they do actually set up some cool stuff for, for Part 3 that I didn't notice before, um, like the, the museum scene in Biff's Hotel. Yeah. Um, there's some cool stuff about that. So it feels a little, a little more connected than I remembered. Um, but it is very much like they did not th- know 3 was going to happen when they did 1, so there is no reference. So then in 2, they're like, let's get something in there so it's not completely <laughs> random. And, and I think it's done well, but yeah. I just don't feel like 3 is as connected. Just I love the end of Part 2. When they're at the when he's at the high school dance, trying to not run into both his dad and himself. Yeah, like it's a it's a good scene. It's fun. I think that's a great way of how you raise the stakes in a movie. Yes. I think that's a lot of problems with sequels. Is you have a very dramatic uh, character focused storyline in the first, but then there's nowhere for your character to go from there. And I think that's what part two does really well and why it's underappreciated is the fact that, you know what? He could really undo everything from part one yeah, and screw it all up. Yep. And it just feels so cohesive. Like it's, it's one story. Yeah. Like it, it has a natural divide in it, but it is one really good story. Well, and I think that part two does benefit part one because when you go back and rewatch part one, yes. then you're remembering, oh, where's the other Marty running around? Where's yeah. the other Doc? I like that aspect. Yeah. And the angles they choose are very good because it's like, oh, now I can see why in the first one I couldn't see him. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. Uh Uh-huh. 
Um, so if we did a sequel to that, it would be Back to the Future Part 4. Yes, which they've said they're absolutely not doing, but they haven't said we won't do it. <laughs> um, last Robert I checked, we, yeah. we just bought the rights from Steven Spielberg we did. to make that movie. I'm so glad we have the rights to Back to the Future. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Wait, isn't it Robert Zemeckis? Oh, it's it's something with Spielberg. Spielberg Produced is the it. producer. Got it. Uh, Zemeckis was the director. What else has Zemeckis done? He did Forrest Gump. Okay. He's done The Polar Express. He did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Interesting. He has a very wide range. That is a wide range. Of genres in his. Maybe we should have him direct whatever we make in this episode. We can consider that. Have some Robert I don't want to lock it in right away. We'll keep it in mind for sure. But I think he's our front billing right now. Okay. Great. Um, so then I'm going to go to another kind of less adventurous, less blockbuster pleasing movie. But very good quality, very inspiring. Another one of those 90s movies like Shawshank Redemption that left a huge impact on my soul. And that is Goodwill Hunting. Okay, I haven't seen it. Uh, this is the movie that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote their way into stardom, essentially. Um, they were best friends growing up in Boston area. Uh, it's about them. Um, I feel like a lot of people know this, so I'm just going to give a short summary. Basically, Matt Damon is a super genius, but because of traumatic family issues, it kind of keeps him from learning to trust other people and keeps him from developing his skills. And so a professor of physics or a professor of math discovers Matt Damon's talent and hires a therapist who is Robin Williams to come and help him address those issues. And they end up helping each other. It's very – I don't get very emotional I'm not an emotional person, but it's one of the few movies that chokes me up whenever I watch it. Okay. Um, I think I'll have to see this one because I've like I, I've seen like those like little videos that are like here's ten fun facts you didn't know about Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> one of those Buzzfeeds. Yeah, like there's one. Like, Robin Williams makes a joke about his dead wife farting. I think. Yeah, that's one that that is a thing that he uh, improved. I think. Oh yeah, he totally did. Uh, which is very funny, very Robin Williams. The thing I like about this movie. And why we need to be careful if we did a sequel with it is that it has a really good ending where you see Matt Damon driving off. He's driving to California to meet up with this girl who he dated, who he kind of pushed away. Spoilers. I apologize. But it leaves with him driving off onto the horizon. You don't know how it's resolved. And it's a really good ending because mm. it's just open to interpretation as to where things would go. I think... If we did a sequel, we'd need to be careful that we both respect that legacy yeah. and don't tarnish it. I, I well, think if we did it, it would have to tell like a different story in that same world. Yeah. I think we could just not we, – we could not resolve that it cool ending. It could be Ben Affleck's character who is his best friend who encourages him to go and develop those talents, but he himself is not particularly smart. He mm. is just kind of stuck in this – low-income construction, uh, living in the slums of outer Boston situation, and just how he gets along without having his best friend around, what he's doing later in his life. I I could see that as we a could potential do that. option. It doesn't seem particularly funny. No. <laughs> <laughs> the movie itself has very hilarious moments because Matt Damon is very sharp, very witty in it, but it is more of a somber film. But yeah, so that's an idea. Okay. Tell good. me about another one of your movies. Okay, this one is one that is often overlooked. Atlantis, The Lost Empire. 
It's a very good animated film. I like the art style. I like the characters. And it's just lots of fun. I don't think I've ever heard that on anyone's favorite list yeah, before. Yeah, I don't think so. I, that took me back. So I should probably I should probably explain how I made this list. I literally was like, I need to make a letterboxed account. I went into the letterboxed and just like went through everything. I was like, yeah, I like Atlantis, The Lost Empire. I'll put it on the list. So uh, it, it is, you know, not an incredible, like life-changing movie by any means. Definitely not on the level of Goodwill Hunting, but it's a good movie with fun characters. And I really like Vinny. He's my favorite. Um, and I like Milo, Milo Thatch. Um, just some fun characters, and I think there's a lot of potential there. So here's my question to you. What elevates this movie over other animated movies for you? Um, I think it's very grounded, right? Like, you have this like fantastical mission to Atlantis, but you have to deal with this whole opening scene of, like, how do you get funding for that research? <laughs> and, like, how do you put together a team for it? It's an adult's cartoon, you might say. It kind of is, um, without adult content. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, except the old lady who is naked. It doesn't show it, but she is naked, and they do make reference to it. I don't remember that. They but talk I'll take about how she sleepwalks it. in the nude. Um, cool. I think that I think what also struck my fancy for talking about this on the podcast was it has a sequel, and it's not good. So we would need to redeem it. We would we would forget the other sequel exists, and we would go our, our own direction. And make Atlantis 2 back to Atlantis. Yes, which might be what it's called. Okay. I cool. think it's called Return to Atlantis. It's back to Atlantis with the, <laughs> with a two. With the number two. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> like Jungle to Jungle. Like Even though that's one? the original. Right, Jungle to Jungle. The so first if we movie. ever made a sequel to Jungle to Jungle, it should be Jungle 3 Jungle, but that doesn't work. Or Jungle 2 Jungle 2. Jungle to Jungle to Jungle to Jungle. <laughs> And it's just like, it's drawn in a circle, so it's sort of an Ouroboros situation. With Tim Allen's head in the middle. <laughs> yes. Or Tim Allen's head on the Ouroboros. Where does Tim Allen's head come in? That's a mystery. We'll solve that when we actually do maybe the, make a sequel to maybe Jungle Maybe the to twos jungle. are snakes, and Tim Allen's heads are heads. Of the snakes. Uh, they, yeah. Okay. So it's like, picture Tim Allen's head, and then like a two coming out of it. But I he's, like it. But he's but eating his snake. own tail. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, jungle to Jungle 2. There it is. We jungle made it. Jungle and we never have to talk jungle. about it again. Okay, cool. Um, Atlantis 2 literally <laughs> is just like Milo lives in Atlantis now. And they're like, what's it like living in Atlantis? Oh, they have a pet dog, but it's not a dog. It's like a weird animal thing. Like, that's what it's about. I don't you remember anything. very bitter about I this. don't remember anything else about the plot because it wasn't interesting. There was also a bad computer game based on it that also wasn't fun. Good to know. So I just want a good sequel to it. I feel like you have some pent-up aggression a little, from your childhood. Just a little about bit. This movie. But like, uh, I think this is one that um, I did not appreciate Atlantis when I was a kid. I saw it again a few years later, and I was like, that is a good movie. It was ahead of its time, maybe. I think so. Too I, far ahead of its time. I think time. it was ahead of my time. Okay. More than anything. Ahead of my age. Why don't people use that phrase more often? Ahead of my time. It's a more humble approach to it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I like that. I'm going to tell you about another one of my okay. movies. This is my second cheat on the list. Okay. And that is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay. That is a movie. It's basically one long movie, yeah. just divided into three movies or six discs if you're watching the extended versions, which I watch every Christmas. Huh. I watched those for the first time a year ago. I'm upset. 
I, I'd seen the I'm original. Physically distraught. Right I'd now. seen the original. Oh, you're I talking about seen the extended, the extended until gotcha. until a year ago. Okay, that makes more sense. I'm I was, not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but I do like Lord of the Rings. Well, I think we've talked about this off the podcast before. You're not a big fan of medieval fantasy very much. I'm not, which is weird because I do play D&D. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> when we play D&D, do you imagine that it's kind of like a Star Trek feel to all of it? No. No, I, I you just accept it. I've bought into the medieval fantasy now, and I think okay. that's part of what helped me enjoy Lord of the Rings more on this last viewing. Gotcha. I credit these movies to being a big part of where I am today. These were my Star Wars, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, they're what inspired me to blossom as a nerd and really just get invested into reading fantasy adventure books, getting into movies. Uh, it's nice to know that after all these years, they really hold up, that they are high-quality movies. Uh, all the practical effects make them look very authentic still. Yeah. Um, the storyline, the writing, the acting superb it helped give me an excitement when i was younger to just help my imagination grow and expand and kind of set me on the track of where i am today of just wanting to start podcasts or play D D, yep. get into movies get into yeah. board game creation stuff like that and so that's where it really sparked for me was with those movies and so i have a infinite debt to pay to them um my first experiences with Lord of the Rings were like saw in theaters, got into the whole hype, right? Yes. So like I, I was fairly into Lord of the Rings. I bought a a uh, trilogy like bound in one book type thing. I was like, I'm gonna read Lord of the Rings. Yes. I'm pretty into this. Didn't love the books at all. Uh, I got through like a hundred really? pages, I think. Um, they are tough to read as a kid. Yes, and I think I, uh, I think that was when I questioned like do I really enjoy these or am I just going along with the wave, right? Am I just doing it because I want to be part of the zeitgeist? And then I kind of looked at them again and I was like, maybe I don't like them. Maybe I don't really like Lord of the Rings. But then I was forced I to watch the extended version. I can imagine Brian saying that exact thing. Am I just part of the zeitgeist right now? Yeah, I knew the word zeitgeist. No, I didn't. But I mean, I mean, I was act- I've always been conscious of this, of like, am I? do I just like something because everyone likes it? And then it turned into, do I just like this because no one likes it? Am I just being a hipster right now? Um, and so I, I think I, I became too self-aware about Lord of the Rings. And I went through a period where I was like, I just don't like it. But when I when I was forced to rewatch the extended version uh, this last year, I was like, they're good movies. I enjoy these. The thing I like about the Lord of the Rings, I would also recommend to revisit the books. They are very different tonally. I feel like... Um, the movie taps more into the emotional aspect of it, and the books are a little more detail-oriented, more fantastical nature, and less of character... Well, there's still a lot of character well, building. Well, definitely into world building. Yeah. Yeah, which I had no interest in then, but do have an interest in now, so... And I think the characters are used more to expand that world, whereas the movies focus on using the world to expand the characters. Yeah. Um, and I like that because both... The movie and the books are very different from each other, but they build off of each other. And it's not like a Harry Potter situation where everyone who's read the books goes and watches the movie and is then disappointed because they're yeah. not as good as the books. I think they're very complementary to each other. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, maybe not everyone hates the movies who's read the books. <laughs> I don't hate them. They're just not as good. I have a hard time going back and watching the ori- the early ones. They're a little rough. especially Mostly the kid actors. That's hard for me. Prisoner of Azkaban 
is a good movie. I think is really solid, and I think the reason it succeeded is because the first two movies were basically straight adaptations of the book, and so it didn't bring a whole lot of um, style and substance that a movie could offer that a book wouldn't. They didn't really take advantage of the cinematic experience. Yeah. And so that's why I think those first two movies don't hold up as well and why... I think the actors sort of hit their stride by then, too. I agree with that. Um, But then they ran into, like, oh, now the books are really, really long. They're way too long for feature films. We have to cut a lot. Or split them into two movies. Yeah. Consequently, making both the movies suffer. Yeah. Um, The the thing that really, like, in in episode four, in number four, that I was like, oh, they, like, there are actual challenges to adapting this now is the fact that the whole maze at the end was like, the bushes move. Yeah. Instead of like facing actual challenges within the maze. Why did they have a sphinx? Why didn't I they know. have the blast-ended scroots? There's a lot of stuff in that maze. We should start a podcast where we just nitpick the Harry Potter movies. That I probably could do exists. That. There's probably 20 of them. I could do that for 50 episodes at least. There actually is one called Harry Potter and the Sacred Texts um, where they, they study it the same way people study the Bible. Really? It's really interesting. It was interesting enough for me to get through an episode and a half. Okay, that's fair. So fairly interesting. So yeah, that was my take Lord on of the Lord Rings. of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your next movie? My next... I, so I have two left. Uh, Truman Show. Okay. Great movie. Just uh, that, That's another one that's very interesting world building. Yes. Of like, how did this happen? You know, th- this is a very elaborate setup. I would love to see a prequel or a sequel to The Truman Show. I would love to know how did his name's Kristoff, I think. How did Kristoff like I'm pretty sure it's Jim Carrey. No, I mean <laughs> No, Kristoff meaning uh the guy in charge. I believe his character the character's name is Kristoff. No, I think that's also Jim Carrey. Okay, yeah. So Jim Carrey, the one who's in charge, um is uh I I would love to see him coming up with the idea, convincing studio executives to let him do this experiment. And all that kind of thing. Or I would love to see Truman adjusting to outside life. That's the take I would want to go with. I think that's it's just very seeing how he adapts to that world. I would like to kind of see the emotional trauma that it puts on him, especially with Jim Carrey in the state that he's in today. I think yes. there wouldn't there might not be a whole lot of acting to go with that. Yeah, for sure. Um but I kinda of like to see him return to that character. Uh, however many years it's been, probably like 15 or so Yeah. at this point. I don't remember when the movie came out. But just to see how he's adjusting life where he's at, just see how he progresses. Well, an interesting thing is like, so you know the scene where he uh, walks out into the road and starts blocking traffic? Yes. He recognizes that that is we- a weird thing, right? That's not something he normally can do. Exactly. He knows that you should get hit by a car. Yes. They've done a pretty good job of doing a recreation and not letting him know, like, oh, you're in a special situation. And so I think that's very interesting. I think it would be hard for him to trust, like, is this just another show, you know? I could kind of see him going on a exploration of the world and yeah. learning about all these different cultures and how they interact. And it's kind of the spiritual journey yeah. at the same time. Because it's probably the only thing we could get Jim Carrey to do. Yes. <laughs> Um, he will be difficult to work with, so we'll put that... <laughs> because he doesn't a... exist. <laughs> That's true. In his own words, he doesn't exist. Yeah. So then my last one, is that right? Yes. My last movie on this list is 
the one that, as far as I remember, was my earliest favorite movie. And I don't know what my parents were doing letting me watch it as a four-year-old kid, because I'm sure it gave me nightmares, but that is Jurassic Park. Nice. I love Jurassic Park. I love it so much. It makes it hard for me to enjoy Jurassic World, even though it has Chris Pratt, who's one of my favorite people. I think it's just such a clever movie with combining both action thriller uh, with the monster aspect, but then some of my favorite scenes in it are them just sitting at a table and talking about the ethics of creating these monsters and what repercussions that can have on humanity. Yeah. And that's not something you find very often in an action thriller movie is uh, Jeff Goldblum <laughs> giving you some deep insights <laughs> yeah. on the philosophies of man and making it interesting. Yeah. Just kidding. Jeff Goldblum makes everything interesting. He does. He's a very interesting person. Um, I think I have taken Jurassic Park for granted. I think I've come to overcome this recently. But like for me, like I didn't see it when I was little. And so it was just like, oh, yeah, Jurassic Park's always been around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we've always had these movies that they keep making uh-huh. about dinosaurs being in the modern day. But, like, like I've watched Jurassic Park fairly recently. It's like, yeah, like that's a cool concept for a movie. And it holds up really well. Yeah. It's a really good adaptation of the book, which I'd also recommend. The book is a lot darker than the movie, which is one of the things, after reading the book, made me really appreciate the movie, is obviously it's dark. They're being right. terrorized by dinosaurs and you literally see a lawyer just ripped in half from his toilet during the <laughs> middle of the movie. But the books are a little cynical and so I liked that this movie both made it exciting, thrilling, you're scared of the dinosaurs, but at the same time you're amazed by them. And you're afraid of yourself. You know? Yes, that happens to me from time to time. Because humans, movies. right? Because humans are monsters. Humans are also monsters. Humans are the biggest dinosaurs. Yeah. Maybe not the biggest, but the scariest. And so you had one more movie? I do. It's The Prestige. I am a big fan of The, the Prestige. The Prestige is a good movie. If uh, we did like a top 15, it may have been there. The Prestige is so good that I hate The Illusionist. <laughs> the thing is, I agree. <laughs> It's one of those like Armageddon, Deep Impact yeah. situations or White House Down, Olympus Has Fallen situations. Yeah. Prestige is just going to win because it's the superior movie. Yeah. It's got Christopher Nolan. It's got David Bowie. It does have David Bowie as a real life actual wizard. Yeah. He's so cool. Um, and Tesla is a very, he's a very good character. Like Nikola Tesla is such an interesting character in that movie. Well, and the thing I like is that they include him in the movie. But Hugh Jackman and Christian Bell's characters in that are symbolic of the rivalry between Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. And so I love the whole dynamic of how they betray it as Thomas Edison was the guy who kind of, their take on it is he kind of stole the ideas of Tesla or just kind of worked to make him more popular, more well-known. And that's kind of what Hugh Jackman's character is doing with Christian Bell. Yeah is he's taking his ideas and then dressing them up, making them more publicly accessible, but he can't quite get the magic. And then he literally goes to Tesla and takes his idea, his creation that he made. Yeah. Symbolic so of... So it stops being parallel because it runs into the thing it's it, paralleling. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's a good movie. And then it's just one of those movies that you can go and rewatch and it means something different every time you watch it. Yep. And I like, like when I walked out of the theater seeing it, so I saw it in the dollar theater and everyone I was with was like, man, I hate that Christian Bale character. 
And the Hugh Jackman character, he did some bad stuff, but he was the good guy. Like, we had no question. Like, this was a movie about Hugh Jackman overcoming Christian Bale. And see, It's I, absolutely not that. I always felt like it was the, the other way around. Yeah. That you start, you start off cheering for Hugh Jackman, obviously, but he's the one who turns himself into the monster. Yeah. And Christian Bale, despite the fact that he is a monster and it tries to skim over that a little bit, he's the one who, all in all, like, he's probably the more pure of the two. The, the thing that... that still puts Christian Bale as the bad more the they're both bad dudes. It yes. is it is not there's they're no, not heroes. There is no means. protagonist in the movie, basically. I mean who are the protagonists? I, I don't know. I mean well, I, I, I mean, assume in the strict definition there is, but they are protagonists, they are not heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um what the thing about Christian Bale's character is I it is this is going back to Big Fish. I can't stand how he treats his wife. Well and he's a monster for that. Yes. That's that that was the one that was Bigger to me than cloning yourself and killing your clone. For me, that's like a very abstract, like, yeah, like, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Seems bad to be keep doing that. But it's so abstract. Well, and that's Lying what, to your wife, your entire relationship is like... That's what gets me, is that moment when you realize that she's figured out what's going on. That's the emotional gut punch of, what would I do in that situation if my spouse yeah. had been leading a double life their whole life? Um, we did a lot of movies based off books. This and was like a movie podcast. Yeah. This was like a nice, just like, let's talk about movies. Yeah. No, this is good. I think it helps that we talked about some of our favorite movies because then we can explore it a little more than, yep, haven't seen that movie, but based off the trailer, this is yeah. what I think it's about. Yeah. Um, I, this is the most knowledgeable about movies I've ever felt on this podcast because I was able to tell you things about Atlantis, the Lost Empire. <laughs> um, okay. So real quick. Let's do the elevator pitch for each of these movies. What would the sequel be? We'll go back and forth picking one of our movies. Okay. I will start since I started. I'm going to knock out a couple of mine, though, because they're kind of... Let's like, narrow it down to three. I don't think we that? need to do... Spi- three each. Three each. That's great. Okay. Here's my Big Fish 2. Big Fish 2 is about the grandson of the original father, right? So the son of the original son. Okay. Um, He, he wants to connect with his father, just like his father connected with his father. But... He doesn't have any good stories about himself. Yeah. All of his stories, like that we see the last scene, he's like, oh, and here's the story about my dad who did this. He's so, like, I want to know about you, not grandpa. So he has to go out and make his own adventures. Yeah. With his son. Yeah. I think it'd be sort of a goofy movie situation. <laughs> um, sort of a, you know, you know, I, I am sort of, goofy movie. I mean, I'm a sports writer. That's not a particularly like easy to connect with your son. I mean, even if you like sports, like a writer is... I like this dynamic in the movie. The son is trying to be an athlete. Like, he is trying out for the football team and all that. But he just doesn't like it. And he doesn't want to disappoint his dad, but he's just not into it. And so they go on this road trip adventure. And they have have the grandpa's stories. Yeah. As that's sort of their one true bond. So they're like, let's go find Spectre. Yeah. You know, let's go... Relive some of those stories. And go they, find our own stories. And I think they try and go relive these stories, and they don't turn out the way they plan. Yeah. But in the process, they create their own experiences and stories that they can then bond with going forward, and it teaches them valuable lessons about life. Well, and I think that lesson could be your life doesn't have to be larger than life, right? It could be the simple quiet moments. Yeah. Like, they could... Uh, maybe it's just the, the father teaching his son the perfect cast. And then performing on on stage at a rock concert. 
Yeah. You know. The simple quiet moments in life. <laughs> yeah. But like inventing a dance based on doing the perfect cast with your fishing line. You know? Just some original ideas I'm thinking of. I think it is a Bruno Mars concert in this. Because <laughs> yes. I think Bruno Mars should play Powerline in this. In this big fish sequel. That is now a live action goofy movie. <laughs> okay, good. So that's one. That's, that's one. your first movie. Um, my first movie, I would... So I'm going to rule out Lord of the Rings because we tried that. It was The Hobbits. It didn't work. Well, and they're also making the uh, series, the right? The TV series, which I'm very excited I for. I think that has potential. I, I'm very... I don't think it needs to be rebooted, but... Uh... It shouldn't yeah. be rebooted. It's a movie that I think can last a while. But I think they can do a good job with it. So I hope they do. Well, I think the TV series is going to be focused more on the Silmarillion or some oh, of these side adventures. Interesting. Okay. I don't think it's Frodo's journey. So I'm going to rule that out. I'm going to rule out Shawshank Redemption because we talked about yes. we're going to save that for our last episode. Um, We've talked about the Goodwill Hunt hunting. That's We do yeah, Ben Affleck's side so story. So I'll make that my first one. It's okay. Ben Affleck's story. Uh, I like the idea... That he is trying to reconnect with Matt Damon. And I know it's Will Hunting and whatever Ben Affleck's character is. I'm just going to refer to them as Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Um, well, I do think it would affect whatever his name is. Is going to have a direct impact on the name of the movie. Because the so first you, is called Good Will Hunting. So this is going to be called Good Ben Affleck. His character. <laughs> eh, mediocre Ben Affleck. Uh, no, I think this is about Ben Affleck. He's trying to break out of mediocrity. He doesn't want to be a construction worker his whole life. His name's Chucky Sullivan. It's a good name. This is Good Chucky Sullivan. <laughs> um, good Chucky. He wants to start a business. In the movie, Ben Affleck is really good at just hamming up the part. Like, he goes to a couple of interviews for Matt Damon's character, pretending to be Matt Damon, um, just because Matt Damon doesn't really want to work for the companies. But he's a good con artist. Like, he gets the people interviewing him to give him, like, maybe 50, 60 bucks. Just as like a, hey, if you invest in me right now, I'll be more likely to look at you for uh, signing on. Um, so I think he is a con artist to a degree, but he wants to start a legitimate business. When does this take place? At the time of the movie? Like the time the movie was made, the 90s? or I think this is today. More modern. Okay. This is modern day. So I think he's, or maybe we back it up. I think he's trying to get into computers and trying to figure, He's heard about this dot com thing. This dot com thing. It's really growing. Never gonna it's not it's definitely not a bubble. I think he's getting into Bitcoin. Because we like talking about we Bitcoin. Do. We here. do. Um I don't think he understands it, but he wants to start using computers to harvest it and to that's why he's going to Matt Damon, is he's like, Hey, you know this process. I think we I can get a whole bunch of computers for us. I've got a lot of people donating to us because my uh, skills as a showman. I've got them donating to a cause. I think we can invest a lot of money into this and get it going. Um, and it's Matt Damon coming and trying to help him make more of an honest living with his life and sort of achieving his potential based off of what he can do. Yeah. And it's not, okay, I'm going to rely on others to do the smart stuff and I'm just going to use my charm and... Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, so maybe we don't go with. This. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we do either, but uh, I do like that that ties into the good Chucky Sullivan title. Yeah, of like, let's make him good. Let's actually like, make, make him, him good, good at stuff and that kind of thing. Cool. Well, and I think where you haven't seen this, I feel like this is a movie that would rely a lot on knowing what happened yes. in Goodwill Hunting, and so I think this one we probably skip on. Okay. Um, 
I think the Truman Show one was very compelling. The Truman Show sequel, and maybe we kind of already pitched it. But I think that would be one of my three. Okay. My second, then, would be... Let's remake Dark Knight Rises. Okay. I could be on board with that. Um, I do like Bane. I like that whole aspect. I love, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt in that movie. Yes. I think we need to get rid of Talia al Ghul and that whole side plot, because I feel like that neuters Bane, for one. And then it just brings an unnecessary love interest, because you know Ben Aff- uh not Christian Bale, the other Batman, yeah. is going to get together with Catwoman. Good Chucky Sullivan. Good Chucky Sullivan. What if this is a crossover? What if this is the origin story of how good Chucky Sullivan becomes Batman? Becomes the new Batman. Okay. And, and Casey Affleck, who is in Goodwill Hunting, becomes Robin. Okay. And uh, and Christian Bale. I almost called him Christian Bane. Christian Bane. Christian Bale's Batman, right? Yes. Uh, dies. What if this is a new take on Batman? What if Batman isn't the world's greatest detective? I mean, I feel like he hasn't been for a while. They haven't really played up the detective angle as much. They they hint at it a couple of times. Yeah. But it's true. I want one or the other. Either it's Matt Damon smart Batman or Ben Affleck mediocre guy Batman. I want to go with the Ben Affleck. and I like that too. Because one, I want to keep him as Batman. He's talked about leaving. I want him to stay around. And so I like this idea of he was a mediocre kid. And we have flashbacks to his past. His parents, I know the Ben Affleck Batman, his parents get shot. No, forget that. I think- We can do whatever we want. We do the Flashpoint movie first, which is Flash alters the whole timeline of history. Okay. And Batman's parents live on longer. Ben Affleck is maybe in his 20s before his parents pass away. Well, and and so he's not really forced to uh, stretch himself, right? Exactly. Because, I mean, his parents are around and he's rich, like- He's just kind of taking it easy, and that's why. But then his family loses all the money when they pass away. He's not well protected in that regard, so he has to go out and make a living for himself, and that's where he kind of hits his low point. He's and living mining in the... Bitcoin and working with yeah Matt Damon, Will Hunting. Yeah, we're gonna we're it... gonna throw that out the window. Okay, <laughs> no more Bitcoin. But no, I think he. I have ideas of this. I'm trying to just fish them all together. So let's go to your other movie. And I'll come back to this. Okay. Um, I think it's got to be Atlantis, the Lost Empire. Okay. Um, and the pitch is this. Back to Atlantis. Back to Atlantis. Um, maybe we could center it around another sort of lost world type thing. I don't know what that would be, though. What's another, like, missing continent that they could go after? Because that's what it would be for me. I don't think it would be an extension of, like, oh, here's what life in Atlantis is like. That's less interesting to me. What if... They go for El Dorado. El Dorado is good. Um, and they, I, they learn that it's underground. It's been covered up by by uh, earthquakes and that kind of thing. What if it's Pompeii? Oh, Pompeii is And cool. we've been led to believe that Pompeii suffered from this giant volcano that ruined it. But then some archaeologists discover, no, this is actually a civilization that went into hiding. I, I just watched Black Panther last night, and they made this comparison of how... Uh, Wakanda was El Dorado, and everyone thought it was in South America when in reality it was Africa, and it was this technologically advanced society. Hmm. I like this idea of Pompeii being that, and that there were civilizations, um, maybe the Romans or the Greeks. I don't know exactly the timeline with Pompeii. I don't either. I think it's Rome, though. I mean, um, it's in Rome. I mean, it's it is in Italy. Yeah. 
Um, I think there were different civilizations who were trying to attack them and gain their resources because they were well advanced. So they just basically relocated their whole society underground. Yes. So what we've what we've like uncovered and like dug up, that is like a very very small part of their town that was on the surface and it did get destroyed. But they keep digging a little bit and there's a hatch, very lost esque hatch. And, and we go, they go miles under the ground. And we find the mole men. Yeah. Which is the Pompeians. Yeah. Um, I think it was really interesting because then Moliere could be related to them yeah, somehow. I do like that. Even though he's French. Well, I mean it's a Latin language. Yeah, but he could have some he could have some distant distant connections. Yeah. Uh, family members down in Pompeii underground. I like this because that is not a that is not a fictional like a like a legend that people tell. Yeah. This it, is an original it flips it all on its legend. Head. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, everyone knows about Atlantis. Like how it's like this this underwater city. That was easy to find because you knew you were looking for something. Yep. Pompeii, you don't know you're looking for. <laughs> they were intentionally for. covering it up. Yeah. And I do like the title of this, which is Atlantis 2, colon, Pompeii. <laughs> what if it's just called Pompeii the Lost Empire? Okay. I think that'd be interesting. Uh, I think Milo is settled in Atlantis. It's not Milo. Yeah. But maybe it's the rest of the crew. We could do that. Um, with, with with sort of a new linguist who's not the main character. But they bring someone on like, oh, we need a linguist. Done. We did it. We bring someone yeah. on. Um, but Some token linguist I is think, added to the I group. think the main protagonist is Vinny because I do love Vinny. Is he the one with the mustache? He's the explosives expert who's also oh, a florist. Who is now played by Terry Crews. Oh, my gosh. That's cool. Because that's what he looks like is Terry Crews. Nope. You're thinking of the doctor. The doctor looks like Terry Crews and doesn't have a mustache. I just totally took everything you said out of context. <laughs> Vinny's the one with the mustache who blows things up, right? Yeah. You said mustache, and I think the fact that I didn't immediately say yes, you thought you were wrong. So you went, gotcha. with, you went a different direction. Um, yeah, it's the one with the mustache and the like flat top of his head, and he uh, blows up a giant column and makes a bridge in, like, what, two seconds? Yeah. That guy. I think he's an interesting character. I think, that, honestly, the characters are very good. Um, they're very interesting, and I maybe it's just sort of an ensemble thing. Maybe they meet a Pompeian who becomes the protagonist. Okay. And what, what if, it's, if it's there is civil unrest in Pompeii, and so people are going out into the world? I like oh, this okay. idea of that. There's the people in Pompeii feel like they are superior to the rest of the world because they had been at the time that they went underground. Yeah. And they've been developing at their own rate. It just the world caught up and passed them. And passed them because they didn't have access to like the communication with the outside world. Yeah, and so these Pompeians, they're some of them are a little worried because there's civil unrest. They're fighting with each other. They go to seek help elsewhere and realize, wow, we are vastly inferior to what the rest of the world has become. Yeah, and so I think this Pompeian, she goes and reaches out to the world. And obviously she doesn't speak the language, but they're able to eventually communicate. Because they have this linguist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she speaks Italian. <laughs> Proto-Italian. <laughs> she figures Etruscan, out a way to communicate maybe. with them. And brings them as this way of being like, hey, guys, snap out of it. There is advanced technology. We are not a superior. We need to come out of hiding. We need to reimmerse ourselves into the world. And through that experience of learning and growth, we will make peace with each other. Yeah. Because we are now humbled. We're not this overpowerful empire that we once were. And, and to keep with 
I really do enjoy the first 15 minutes of Atlantis the Lost Empire of like, oh, he's this linguist who has a hard time getting people to take him seriously. And we have to go through the process of like getting funding for a, an expedition. I think we'd go through the the very real issue of like when someone gets to the surface, they're a spectacle, right? Yeah. This is probably a very pale, um, scrawny boy or girl. It's a girl. Never mind. Um, and she like doesn't understand anything and she only speaks Latin. Yeah. Like how does the media react to that? All the newspapers and that kind of thing. I, I, I like going through that process and then saying, okay, we need to get the Atlantis team together because Pompeii is down there. Yeah. This linguist has, has been able to communicate with this girl. And she said, I come from under the ground from the great civilization of Pompeii. Well, and I think there's something in Pompeii that beyond just like the archaeological research of it, there are some resources there that they have not fully utilized down there. But we have learned, okay, these are valuable resources we can use. They can make countries wealthy and powerful. And so they want to manipulate the Pompeians into using it. But the Pompeians, very proud of their heritage and their culture, they try to go to war, but they lose. Like, right off the bat. Like, I feel like we have a lot of these movies of Pocahontas, Avatar, Uh Dancing with the Wolves, where the underdog still wins somehow. I like this idea of they go to war because of their hubris, and they lose, and then dealing with the consequences, what do we do from here? How do we keep, one, from becoming an enslaved society, what can we do to rebel? But then us as a people learning, okay, how do we stop from taking complete advantage of them and creating another new slavery. I should see when Pompeii happened to see how far behind they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think they progressed a little bit. Oh yeah. On their own. I mean, they not to the rate. Obviously smart people. um... And it touches on that theme of communication and what happens when you isolate yourself from the rest of the world. Yeah. And Bastille can do the soundtrack. Yes. I think that song is on loop the whole time. AD 79. So the Roman Empire, I think, is still still kicking at that point, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they, they are probably fairly well-versed. They know about Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Um, and they're like, hey, we heard that Jesus came back back to life. Is he still around? They're like, oh, we're waiting for him to come back. But, yeah. you know, not yet. Not around right now. What would they? I'm just trying to put myself in their, mo- you know, in their mind of, like, what is this world really going to be like? I think they do have some kind of, like, even some stuff that feels futuristic to us, sort of, yeah. sort of like Atlantis. Well, I think maybe they, uh, I think they do have renewable energy. Yeah, I think they do figure that out as a necessity. They, they would have to if they're going underground and if they're going to survive this long. And yeah. that I think that's the thing we are trying to take from them essentially. Yeah, is this way of using renewable energy, and so this brings into brings a lot of political strife into the movie. Um, different factions, different parties, I should say, are trying to compete as to what to do with this. A lot of people think, no, we shouldn't do this. And so I like this idea of the these big businesses, the oil companies and whatnot. They are trying to promote not manipulating, not taking advantage of these people for their own sakes because that's the only way that they can convince humanity to avoid delving too deep into this. And so it gives this really mixed... Uh, ideology of just like, okay, they're doing something good, but for really cynical purposes. Yeah. I I love that we talked about how Atlantis is kind of a more adult cartoon earlier. 
Because I think that's the direction we're going with this. Yeah, it is. I'm looking to see Even when... Even to the next level. I'm looking to see when this takes place. It's 1914 is, is when Atlantis takes place. During World War One. Interesting. So I think this is during World War Two. Okay. I think that's that's interesting. That's the context. Um, and maybe maybe the original uncovering of like, oh wait, there's another layer beneath what we now know as Vesuvius. So now we have maybe that's a Nazi uh, investigation that sort of uncovers that. Well, I think that brings a whole new element. It's in Mussolini's territory. Yeah, it is. And now the Nazis are trying to intrude, and he's not a big fan of that. But now we have Secret Service agents. Um, from America, from England, trying to come in, and because they feel like they have to protect these people before Nazis take advantage of all this. And, and I, I think that the Atlantis crew can be sort of the the technical escort to a an actual military group going into Italy behind enemy lines and saying like, "Hey, Mussolini has access to this this rumored power source. This historian and this linguist think that." there's something to it, we should go stop it. Send these people in because they they did Atlantis and that went well. So let's get that power for ourselves. But yeah. I don't think any of the crew knows that. I, I think we, we kind of mirror the first one, that there's some sort of more militaristic leader who's like, yeah, we're going to do this investigation and stop Hitler. Who's secretly a Nazi all along. I, I don't think he's secretly a Nazi, but I don't I don't think he tells the rest of them that he is... This is an American crew, and I don't think he tells them that the American army is looking to harvest this power and use it against their enemies. Yeah. Which this team is not down on. Obviously, we want America to win the war, but, you know, how do we treat these people in the meantime, these Pompeians? I like it. Pompeii the Lost Empire. We made a serious movie for once, Brian. Yeah, based on Atlantis the Lost Empire. Who'd have thought? When we had access to Goodwill Hunting and the <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. We went with Atlantis the Lost Empire and ended and up made with a this, serious like, movie. Nice, serious, very, very potential. Like, Disney could make this movie. Yeah. Like, it's a little bit heavy for them, but so is Atlantis. Well, I do think we need to market this towards adults. Yeah. Which is a very tricky demographic. It's hard to um, showcase a animated film and not make it a family first kind of movie. Yeah. I think kids, like, we can have a little humor in it to make it fun for kids. But I do think it, we need to touch on these serious issues. It's I kind of I think the trailer can have some jokes in it, right? Yeah, there will obviously be. Jokes I almost in the movie. feel like a Zootopia vibe, but maybe a little more serious. Because Zootopia, I felt, did a very good job at having fun, but also touching on a lot of uh, important messages, social yeah. political uh-huh. messages. Yeah. Well, and I think setting it in World War II inherently will will do some. Yeah, of that. exactly. I, I just I I really do feel like Atlantis does a good job of saying, hey, it makes you feel like this is the real world in 1914. These are normal people. Yeah. And oh my goodness, Atlantis is real. I think this is another thing of like World War II is going on. Things are bad. Mussolini is in control of of Italy, and he is going to take over this great power source that no one knows if it's real. You know what a vibe I actually really like from this kind of an Iron Giant feel. Like, I feel like yes. that touches on the somberness and serious you need to. It addresses the issues of Soviet Russia or, like, this this paranoia that was going on, but it's still very much a kid's movie yeah. and very accessible. It's not a 10 jokes per minute kind of movie. It's set in a very serious time, but, you know, the main characters sort of exist in a little bubble. Yeah. Where 
only a few things butt into their world. Exactly. Inside of the other world, the real world. I like this. Um, I think we wrap it up here. Because we- I think this movie is, is this episode is nine hours long. Um, yeah. But Robert Zemeckis is directing it. And I do think we have Terry Crews as the doctor. And Is it live action? Nah, it's voices. The voice. But act. he's the voice. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, I do want Michael J. Fox in this one, though. But I didn't want Milo in it. It does Michael J. Fox voice Milo. He is the voice of Milo Thatch, yeah. Okay. Um, I think he is their pen pal who they write to for I, advice. I think, yeah, I, I think maybe they, they call him up a few times. They keep in touch. To get his him. advice at the start. Sort of say, like, hey, like, do you think this could be a thing? Have you done any research on this? And he, he honestly can be like, no, I've focused all my research on Atlantis, and now I'm happy here in Atlantis. So it'll be more of a cameo. Do we just keep the original cast with the exception that we upgrade the Doctor to Terry Crews? He could have been Terry Crews all along, for all I know. Yeah. I don't know the voices in this movie. But I just Terry really Cruz want now, Terry no matter Cruz what. to do a voiceover role. Yeah. I, ever, I like Terry Crews. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. We need him in more of our movies. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you want to tell the listeners where they can find us? I do. You can find us on Facebook. Facebook. <sighs> Facebook. Nope. It's Facebook. Facebook at the Silver Screen Redemption. Silver Screen is all one word as always. Uh, we're on Twitter at Screen Redeem, and you can email us at the Silver Screen Redemption at gmail.com. Send us in your studio demands, which we didn't do this episode, I guess. Let's do that real <laughs> quick. <laughs> we should probably get a studio demand. Real quick. I totally spaced it. Okay, um, this submission is from Luke W. Jean from the podcast Alex and Luke Know Nothing, uh, and they and he says more non-developed tertiary characters with more interesting lives than the main protagonist. I think that actually already already works here because the main protagonist is this linguist that we've never met before and probably isn't that interesting. Yeah, um, and we we already know the side characters, quote unquote the doctor and the demolitions expert and the mechanic. And they're, they they do actually have pretty extensive backstories from the first movie, but we do focus on like this boring linguist is the main character, just like Milo Thatch was, but he's even less interesting. I think that works. And I think that keeps us from derailing this really good idea <laughs> that we have. Yes. Yes. So thank you, Luke. Um, let's go ahead and wrap it up there then. Okay. What's your name? I'm Brian Perry. I'm Houston Bodley. Whether or not they need redemption, we'll be there. Any similarities to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental.